over the line! Hello and welcome to another episode of Over Under Movies, where we pick one overrated and one underrated movie within the same genre, style, tone, or director, or uh, however we see fit. This is Oktay Ege Kozak. And I'm Ryan Oliver. And this episode we have Ryan's picks, uh, which I would call them uh, police, you know, procedurals or uh, procedures about uh, psychotic killers. And uh, the picks we have are um, Deli Villeneuve directed 2013's Prisoners. Why did you run away from me the other night, man? I've never seen you before. You sure you have the right house? You doing some shopping at the Value Mall lately? Yeah. <clears throat> Boy. Starring um, Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal um, as Ryan's overrated pick. So let's start with that uh, before we get to the, the underrated. Uh, why did you pick Prisoners as your overrated, Ryan? Well, I've actually had this uh, particular pairing on the back burner for probably upwards of two years now. Um, but I think for me with Prisoners, the, the first time I saw it um, and the only time I had seen it uh, up until yesterday, I had the one thing that I really took, like the positive I took away from this movie was that it was so confidently directed, like despite everything else, there's such a confidence in the way that it's filmed that I knew that Dene Villeneuve, and this was the first movie I had seen of his, um, was going to go on and make some great films. But I felt, I felt weird pinning it as an overrated, like kind of right off the bat because I wanted to see what this filmmaker was going to do. And I didn't want to sort of like, uh, like put a label on this movie until we could see what Villeneuve was capable of. And would you of. agree that he didn't disappoint? No, as at, after an amazing run, uh, between enemy Sicario and arrival. Now I finally do not feel guilty, uh, coming down on this movie a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> um, because yes, Villeneuve has gone on to make, uh, some incredible, incredible films and prisoners certainly is not a bad film, but when I saw it in the theater in 2013, I, I left like fairly underwhelmed and was very like, I felt like I'd watched a different movie from, from my peers and from a lot of the people, cause it was a very well received movie and had a very healthy box office return for a, for a drama of this sort. Um, and a type of movie that doesn't really get made, um, too often anymore but i feel like the movie is to me it's it's not only over long but it doesn't it doesn't justify its running time and it builds to a conclusion like it's it's a message movie i think that's mm. what ultimately like get uh, gets to me is that the movie doesn't really function and especially that on fact a second kind of movie. brings it down too that yes the fact a, that it is a message movie and not where the message comes out of uh, the procedural elements, like it really tries to twist the, the procedural into a message movie. And that, I think that was a misstep. I, I agree because the movie doesn't, because it's because of its message. Um, and I wouldn't call this particular movie a message movie, but it reminded me watching it a second time of the game, the David Fincher movie. Mm -hmm. And that man, like whatever I had, whatever it had going for me on the first viewing, it doesn't hold up on a second viewing because when you know where this movie's going, you realize that it doesn't 
there weren't pieces hiding in plain sight, like a way a good twist, like the usual suspects or fight club or Sixth sense where it's like, Oh, that was actually in plain sight the whole time. They just, was, they were really good at holding their hand, uh, hands close to their chest. Whereas this one, when you get to the reveal of the movie, it's not only head slappingly stupid, <laughs> <Yes>. but, <laughs> but also it was never really, it wasn't built up in an organic or, way that you could see that coming it's just like oh bet you didn't see that coming well yeah because it's stupid like why would we have any reason to have that happen so i think the, the it's, movie... so, it's almost like they're saying we had a shit ton of uh red herrings and uh we went around this like incredibly convoluted way and then they're just they're finding like oh we're at two hours and 15 minutes we have to finish this somehow I right just slapped and on this album the ending that's what it feels like exactly and i think for me just because the movie it, it takes so long to to just hammer out the message that we kind of already knew from the beginning that uh, <laughs> I thought of, uh, you know, you know, the scene in the mask before Stanley Imkis puts on the mask for the first time and mm-hmm. he's watching television and Ben Stein uh, the, is the um, he's like explaining like, the what the mask and does. He, and yeah, he's explaining what it does. And he says, uh, he's like, you know, we all wear masks, metaphorically yeah, yeah. speaking. And I, the, when I left this movie, I just was like. We all are prisoners, metaphorically yeah, but, yeah, speaking. Yep, yep. <laughs> and it's just, it's the movie is so again confidently well, the, directed. The villain but... monologuing at the end basically hammers in like all of oh, the oh. themes of the story. If on, if just in case so you didn't bad. get it, and we'll be spoiling that. So I, I you know, apologize, yeah, but yeah, it is yeah, a we're gonna get into it. Movie. But this, this is a movie that's uh, when I, I went back and like looked at my original review, and I called it like a twenty-four carat execution around. A two-dollar script. Uh, you know, <laughs> That's a very good way of putting it. You know, Denny Villeneuve obviously um, tried really hard to infuse this film with, with a lot of like deep meaning. Uh, and even before the script, uh, the the screening started, uh, he apparently had. Uh, you know, there was the 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 the, um, the PR guy in charge of the the screening came out and just read this whole note from Villeneuve. Um, saying, like, I hope that, you know, you will leave this movie thinking about its themes and what the characters did, and ask yourself, if you, what would you do if you were in the place of these characters and all that stuff? And, you know, I thought that was a little bit arrogant, and I was just like, just let us watch the movie first. But it was, it was, um, it was obviously his way of, like, because he didn't do anything like that with his other movies, like, went to the screening of Arrival, there wasn't, like, a note from him before that and that's the only movie that he did that uh, he didn't do it with Sicario or Enemy um, and that made me think as if like he knows that the that he gave it his all to like give this film something beyond uh, it's like very kind of straightforward uh, serial killer thriller script I mean this is basically the story, the overall story of, like, these two girls getting kidnapped and then the investigation into this, like, decades-long um, serial killer myth that surrounds this town. Uh, it's basically, it's like one of those, like, you know, like the Morgan Freeman, like, Alex Cross thrillers. Like, you can totally right. see that happening. You can totally see, like, uh, Alex Cross coming into this, like, investigation or something like that. And, like, just you're in and out within, like, an hour and 45 minutes or something. And then mm-hmm. that's it. And then you have the exact same uh, thing where it's just like, yes, the obvious uh, bad guy is obvious from the very beginning. Uh, right. but, but you're just like, oh, this is just an hour and 40 minute thriller, you know, 
we're, we're certainly going to get to this point at the end where it's like the bad guy's going to monologue and put the gun on the Morgan Freeman and then mm-hmm. some cop's going to show up and shoot him or something like that. And you're just like, eh, you know, just standard thriller or whatever. But to, to, to blow this up into this like two and a half hour, like incredibly heavy handed behemoth of like this, this, um, where of the like sacrifice are... and grief yes. and like, and, and like, you know, push to the edge around and... this really stupid, like, bust up novel um serial killer story is just it's it's like it's an absurd combination of tones and uh and and maybe it's because Villeneuve came from you know doing incendies which is a you know it's not a great film as uh, some other people say it's it's decent it's really good and then you can see why he was hired to do like bigger projects from there but um but you can definitely tell that maybe around that time he was he didn't have the power to say Okay, this is really stupid. Like, can we change this around a little bit to to make the the actual um, mystery surrounding these kidnappings and killings of these child kidnappings? Like, can we make can we make this a little bit more subtle? Like, make it about the characters and not about like all the stupid shit that like you know like that surrounds it. And maybe he right. didn't have the power to do that. And I think that explains the reasoning behind his like him asking this note to be read before the screening to say like, yes, I like, I tried to make this about something, <laughs> but like, I didn't, maybe he was just kind of coming across this message across. Like, you know, I didn't really have all the power to make this about something, but I did try. And you can tell that he, he tried so hard. Yes. Yeah, so he, he is caught in that weird middle ground and, and you, you kind of touched on it. And that's like part of my issue with this movie is like, it's that weird middle ground where it's like there has to be a thrust for the the procedural for the mystery, but there also needs to be a focus on the characters or there needs to be like one of them needs to take a backseat to the other. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're sort of like conjoining at the same t- like equal time is spent. And so therefore it feels like not enough time is spent on either of them. And it's like mm-hmm. it's one of those things where you said it needed to be trimmed down to like an hour 45, you know, Alex Cross novel type movie. Mm-hmm. Or it need to be it needed to be much much longer and fleshed out, um, like, a, like especially, a miniseries, like like exactly, a, yeah. especially like right like now true, I'm going, true detective. It could have turned into something like true that. detective, or I'm I'm going back through Twin Peaks before the revival starts, and like mm-hmm. I'm I especially watching that in conjunction with these two movies, that being about a mystery, um, mm-hmm. you know, equal parts to the mystery and about the characters, mm-hmm. and it's just fascinating to see where like this this one just stumbles. Um, it stumbles hard and I think like it's it's tough because Villeneuve does give it his all and it's like I don't want to like I don't want to crap on the movie because it went for something and it missed like because those are usually the type of things that I go for but I just think um this the screenwriter like looking at his other work he, he wrote Contraband with Mark Wahlberg which is a like enjoyable like b-level movie um yeah, the upcoming like fifth uh uh reboot of friday the 13th exactly and i'm just i'm thinking like well number one the twist of this movie sets it up pretty well for a friday the 13th would you <laughs> yes. think like uh and With secondly, Ma- Ma- I just, mama Voorhees. yeah yeah, yeah. exactly maybe melissa leo will be cast well, in yeah, uh, we'll, the like, remake reprise the kind of reprise the role yeah <laughs> exactly but i think just like looking at this movie again it it, it it aspires to be more, but I just think it was just out of out of his grasp. Like the the ideas um, and the themes are are certainly there, but they are just brought on with sledgehammer for like I have the same issue with this movie that a lot of people do with Batman versus Superman. Like it's a weird comparison, mm-hmm. but like both movies are 
overly long and like mm-hmm. dour and are full of like ideas and themes and interesting things. The execution and, just and doesn't. And like, the kind of material that doesn't really deserve it, like or or, or and, right. and the kind of material that maybe should have been should have had a bit more levity to it. Uh, yeah. So in, in that case, I right. think it it's a, it's an apt comparison and. Uh, yeah, it's it's or you know just or make make it you know like you said like make it an hour and forty five minutes of just like an Alex Cross type like going behind the mystery of like what's going on and make it about like make it about Jake Gyllenhaal's cop character who has this weird like facial tick for some reason like, like uh, some, that really bothered me. Some the of the second perf- performance choices yeah. with Jake Gyllenhaal are 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 weird and the fact that we don't really get much of a backstory about him or no, like no like we, we kind of get the feeling that maybe he's been through uh situations of like abuse uh in his past or something like some, he has some kind of it looks like he, he has some kind of ptsd mm-hmm. and that he just cannot like he make like when he sees children being kidnapped or abused or whatever like he makes it personal uh, right. He really. Goes he also has solved every case he's ever solved, so he has. Yeah, and, to... and that, that's that's like such a like exactly like there are elements like that. There are, there's dialogue like that in the film that just belongs straight into the the kind of movies that we're talking about, like the exactly. kind of like fluffy popcorn uh, thrillers uh, that are based on you know like the kind of paperback books you would buy at an airport. Uh, there, there's stuff in that. Like, it's just like, it's the badass detective doesn't play by the rules, solved all, every case he's been in. Like, the whole Gyllenhaal character, and it's also obvious that the actors tried to, like, add so much that's not in the on the page. And I think that's what Gyllenhaal did. He's just like, I'm going to give this guy, like, a facial tick. I'm going to make him, like, weird and kind yeah. of unsettling to, like, imply something I mean, the actors are doing the heavy the, yeah. lifting. Hugh like, Jackman he's is doing great. It. Like, Hugh yes. Jackman really goes all out for it. For playing like you know he's you know just shows how versatile he really is like you know being this like you know very suave attractive australian man but he plays a blue collar uh worker um like a devout christian like he he, he sells all that stuff yeah yeah i bought that entirely but i have to say it's too bad though like i feel like those two are about the only people given room to breathe or room to stretch their wings in this movie everybody else just feels like a chess piece in yeah, yeah. Uh, you know it, to spout out to be a mouthpiece for the themes of the movie in like a movie it's, that's it's a supposed waste. to be a character driven heavy like really heavy drama that deals with like themes of like how can you how easy for people to become monsters when they're pushed to a certain limit even if mm-hmm. you're like a devout christian who like you know uh really cares about life and all that. And it's just like, and there's all this like incredibly obvious metaphors of like them being hunters. And yeah. the beginning is like, he hunts the deer and the, you know, they kill the deer and you have to, you know, doesn't he say saying like the Lord's prayer? Saying as, the Lord's prayer. Uh, yeah. So it's almost like, yeah, yeah you, you know, you don't have a problem like using God or like the grace of God to like kill another living creature. But like when humans do it to each other and then like that pushes you to become this monster like there's all this like very easy metaphors which would be i feel like which would be more welcome if it was done in the the kind of like you know popcorn thrillers that we're talking about if you saw that kind of a metaphor at, at a, in a popcorn thriller i'd be like oh you know at least they put in this like nice little touch you know what i mean yeah, but in a film like this you're just like you're trying to make something better than this like you're just, it's so obvious with mm-hmm. uh you know roger deacon's cinematography is is amazing um yes the especially that rescue is... scene at the end of the movie where oh, like, it's being lit up in the snow by the 
the police lights. It's, it's beautiful. It's incredible. There's, there's, some, yeah. there's some contrast in this film, like just beautiful shots with like this insane contrast, like the shots of like Paul Dano inside the the little like uh, the tiny little prison that Hugh Jackman yeah. created for him. And you just see like a little bit of his like just mangled face, just terrified, and it's all black apart from that. And it's just, there's just, just there's just there's some amazing shots in this film. But yeah, like I said, it's like it's it's all wrapped around this really pedestrian kind of serial killer script that doesn't really know what it wants to be. And exactly. um, even the police chief in this movie is straight out of like an Alex Cross or like a Jack Reacher. It's like you don't play by the rules. Yeah, or, like you gotta yeah. stick by this. And so, so that that's why uh, I was saying like, like at what? least <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why I was saying either do um, like an hour and forty five minutes about Jake Gyllenhaal trying to solve this case. And have it end with the same kind of like, oh, he finds the bad guy and the the bad guy monologues and blah, blah. And then like they get, you know, you know, like it's the, the ending of like how that ends with Jake Gyllenhaal is like the typical way these movies end. It's like, isn't it like it's like, oh, I can't, you know, since he's a good cop, he can't shoot an unarmed, you know, person, even though if that person's a serial killer. But then, oops, it turns out the serial killer has a gun and she pulls out yeah. the gun to shoot him. So now it's self-defense. So now, you know, he can unload on the killer and kill her. You know, it's, it's all that like typical, like cliched stuff. All of that happens. So make it that like for an hour and 45 minutes or again, make it an hour and 45 minutes, but make it about what the Hugh Jackman character is going through, how he turns himself into a monster uh to like just focus on the torture scenes of like Hugh Jackman um kidnapping Paul Dano and like how his friends who also lost their whose whose uh daughters also missing uh when they get into it like I like that um I like the way that he handled um especially the the moral um uh conflict that the that the other family is going through Mm-hmm. Because uh, what Hugh Jackman is going through is a very straightforward kind of like okay like okay when you're when normal people are pushed to the limit they can become monsters that's the message, and that message is conveyed within the two minutes into like him ki- kidnapping Paul Dano and start torturing and I'm like okay I get the message and this guy is like determined to go mm-hmm. through with this but I think I thought the um, the inner conflict of the the other couple uh, Terrence Howard and uh, Viola, Viola Davis, Davis uh, was a lot more interesting because they're just like because there's one point where Hugh Jackman is like I'm not stopping you just like let him out go to the police do whatever you want to stop this and they're still like well what if it leads to but they know this is wrong they know this is right. horrible they're so like we're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna join but we're not gonna stop we're not gonna either. stop you either and that's that's like a more morally thematically interesting place to be so I was a lot more interested in that but but like overall. Or make an hour and 45 minute movie where it's just like it's all about that story and don't get into like the mystery of it at all. Like that story, like have that story just end with like uh, the cops just show up and they're just like, oh, it was someone else. Right. You don't know how they found it. You don't know how they cracked the case. You don't know how they found the girls and blah, blah. It just turns out to be like, oh, it was someone else. So he just like tortured and like mangled this like completely innocent, um, mentally challenged boy. And right. that but would have been something see, else. But you could see coming. Like, you know, it's not going to be that person. Like, it's, it's very clear from the very beginning. You, yeah, I mean, but, you don't but, know who but it's But also be, that but... the fact that him doing that kind of leads him to solving the case. 
is That's a little true. bit traumatic. Uh, is a little bit problematic. Uh, it does like it might like I know that that's not the end game, but it might give the people give people like the 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 thought of you know the opinion of uh, you know maybe torture works. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There, there is a that's a, a little like, bit problematic. But that that at least. It, it's problematic, but it at least adds another like morally gray area, like one other morally gray area to a movie that is otherwise very, but as we've said, straightforward and ham-fisted. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's uh, it's very easy to like. It just goes into all these. You know how like every typical Law and Order episode has like the the first guy that they catch is never the actual guy because right. we still have like thirty minutes to go. There's yeah. like two or three of these in in this movie. <laughs> like the, the, this movie kind of reminds me of like you've seen Labyrinth, right? Yeah. And this is a weird starting point, I know, but I have a point because um, these movies have nothing to do with each other. Uh, but you know, you know how in Labyrinth, like a Jennifer Connelly comes across this like little worm. Yeah. Who's like who opens the door for her, and then she starts going this one way, and she's like, "Don't go that way, go the other way," and then. And then the joke is like she says, you know, if she went that way, she would have gone straight to the castle. And and this movie is kind of like that. If you went like if at the beginning, at the beginning, they catch the real people, the people who did this, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then so you would have gone like if you went through that to that route and then it makes it it's like the obvious serial killer is obvious. You know that these are the people who did this. It's so obvious, like just by the way of like, I mean, it's. Okay, spoilers like about like who turns out to be just the just the way that like Melissa Leo carries herself and the way that they dressed her and like they did the like they went out of their way to make her weird. And right. I'm like, yeah, it's gonna be her. And uh <laughs> But so there's that, no good like build up to that. No, like, no, it's just it's just like I said, it's like you it's like they're like, Oh, we have fifteen minutes left, we have to end the movie and then it just happens. And then it's yeah. just like uh, but then, but then you have to. But then instead of going straight to the castle, you go through this other like insanely convoluted way, of like all this like this priest who killed this guy, and the guy is obviously mm-hmm. her and the, husband. The, the maze motif. The maze that, like... motif, and this other guy that they catch, and turns out to be a copycat, and all that stuff. It's just like it's just like it's there's so much, so many red herrings, so much filler, until you get to the ending that it just it just becomes more annoying because you are also engaged in the Hugh Jackman story or the themes of that story. And that's always like intercut with like, yeah, I know this is not going to go anywhere. I know who the killer is. Just fucking get a move on that kind of thing. You know? Right. Exactly. So that's, I mean, that's, you know, I guess we could, we could probably swing over to the underrated here shortly, but I guess my closing thoughts on, on this movie is that I just, I haven't fully understand like i get how it could be you know powerful for somebody um i could understand that but i just have never the the movie is just simplicity but how the way it carries itself with this like thundering importance has always just it's always bothered me because the movie should you know i think movies should strive to be you know more like genre movies can be really good at doing that but they have to work as a genre movie first and then like bring Mm -hmm. that message into play. But if you're all about that message and then the movie isn't thrilling and then you don't put uh, put as much um, effort into the logic of the mystery that surrounds it. Exactly. Then it just sort of tends to fall apart. That's, 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 yeah, that's always my pet peeve with, especially with directors who want to like, we talked about that with nocturnal animals. Uh, It was my uh, number one overrated film of last year. And that, that's kind of where that happens as well is that, 
you know, there are some directors who are not really interested in the genre. You know, it might be like an art house director or it might be someone who's trying to uh, just basically tell a character-based story or a theme-based story within a certain genre that they're not really familiar with. And sometimes this can happen where just like directors can really get lost in the artistic side of things mm-hmm. before realizing that, you know, like... Uh, before like fully understanding why this genre works uh and that that happens that happened with nocturnal animals in my opinion that happens with like you know for example uh what was it there was a couple of years ago there was a movie called never let me go which was a oh yeah the sci-fi yeah the sci-fi story about like the clones and everything which was like it's 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 like it tried to have this like heavy uh themes about like what it means to be human and all that stuff that that a lot of hard sci-fi, like pretty much like 60, 70% of hard sci-fi delves into. But then like he didn't spend enough time to like settle the the rules and parameters of this universe. So the whole time you're just like saying like, why don't they get in the fucking car and just leave? <laughs> you know, like, like exactly. why don't they just escape? Like, you know, when you have like plot holes and then the attitude is kind of like, oh, fuck the plot holes or fuck the plot. Like I'm trying to do like this character study here. Well, you know, if you ignore that, it's it's you know people are going to be annoyed like don't right. don't be like that like don't be like that i don't want like artsy dick who's just like oh this is not about like you know i'm not trying to like do a satisfying fly like you you can do both exactly like, and and the films the and great... villanue has done yeah, that has in the, in arrival films. yeah that's yep. a, you know and, and sicario, sicario. Yeah. yeah absolutely so and, I and think... enemy in many ways as well it's just like it's a yeah. great thriller on top it of is. like being and you know enemy is a great example of that because the whole point of enemy is to confuse you anyway it's like a surrealist david lynchian film and even that has like some pretty like amazing thriller elements that you would see in a straight genre film yeah. It's very effective. And so I think like, you know, I think just cut and dry, this script's not up to snuff as we talked about. And I think that, you know, he Villeneuve fortunately got into the studio system and got to show what Mm -hmm. he could, how talented he was as a director, unfortunately, on a script that he probably didn't really have a lot of say on changing. And therefore, we end up with a gorgeous looking, ambitious, but deeply, deeply flawed movie like Prisoners. Yeah. Yeah, And and, uh, one last thing I wanted to say was... um... The thing that pisses me off about the ending the most is that not only does it rip off um, the ending to The Vanishing, uh, yeah. but it also rips off the ending to the shitty American remake of Vanishing. <laughs> so it doesn't yeah. even have the the courage to rip off the the grim and dark like original ending of The Vanishing. Because it's the exact. Have you seen The Vanishing? Like either one of the. Vanishings. I actually haven't, no. Oh, okay. So it has the exact same ending where the serial killer says, like, oh, you want to see where you're, you know. In this case, it's Hugh Jackman's daughter, and the other it's the guy's girlfriend. It's mm-hmm. like, you want to go through the same experience? You have to drink this, basically, you know, poison or whatever that's going to knock him out. And right. then I'll show you what happened. And then, yeah, and then it turns out that, like, he just, like, buried his girlfriend alive. So that's what he does to, that's what he does to him. And it's, it's kind of the same situation with this ending, but like the, but it has the ending of the shitty American remake where, um, the guy is rescued. Mm-hmm. So you could argue, you could argue that with, uh, with like old boy, like it's kind of this, this like sort of like it's yeah. similar to old boy, but the American version, not the, not Park Chan-wook's version. Yeah. So that's uh, like, you're, you're obviously like, you're directly ripping off another, like 
movie that's not even like obscure like a lot of people know that movie even if you haven't seen it you probably know the vanishing right yeah i I know of it that's what i've I've never seen it, but I, you know, I, I, I feel like I have based on the knowledge that I have for the. So movie. that that really bugged me, but anyway, that's the that's the last thing I wanted to say about it. Uh, do you want to move on to the underrated? Yeah, let's do it. So uh, Ryan's underrated pick is uh, the Michael Mann directed first uh, Hannibal Lecter movie, um, Manhunter. You know who I am? I don't want to know who you are. According to you, I'm a sexual pervert. An animal, you said. You know who I am now? Yes. Do you feel privileged? Based on Thomas Harris's book, uh, Red Dragon, which has been adapted, I think, three times uh, so far. So we have yep. Manhunter, we have Red Dragon from 2002. And the that, third season of Hannibal. The third season was. of Hannibal, that's what I heard. I haven't seen Hannibal yet, but... um. So this is our first foray into Red Dragon, and I haven't seen the Hannibal one, but in my opinion, by you know, the best by a long shot and uh, by a long mile. Uh, but yeah, let's uh, let's ask Ryan why he picked um, it for underrated. Well, I think the movie, in addition to just syncing up with prisoners, I, I think especially Will Graham and Jake Gyllenhaal's character have a lot of similarities mm-hmm. in the way they you know, carry themselves as detectives and how they've, you know, they, they never, there's no line that says, Will Graham, you've solved every case you've ever done, but you know, he's a very, you know, they're very gifted uh, detective. But I think for me, even though this movie since its release in 1987 has, has garnered a cult following and has been better received upon like reviewing and reassessment, I still feel like in, in just the pop culture zeitgeist, because Anthony Hopkins's performance uh, as Hannibal Lecter is so just like when people think of Thomas Harris's novels, they immediately think of um, Anthony Hopkins. They like that's the first thing they think of. And some people, you know, I think film buffs know and love this movie, but um, some people don't even know this movie exists. They just think that the three movies, mm-hmm. the Sam's Hannibal and the later Brett Ratner directed Red Dragon. Are the are it are the like Hannibal movies. And what I love about this movie is that, you know, Hannibal Lecter is until Hannibal, the Ridley Scott directed movie and that book, they're not about Hannibal Lecter. Like they're about like contained different stories. And I think what I love about Manhunter is that it doesn't have that baggage because you don't have that expectation Mm -hmm. uh, with that character. And so it's it's allowed to function as a very like moody, uh, very exciting thriller um, and one that unlike Prisoners, which is very like simplistic in its presentation of both the like heroes and villains and what to go through. This movie has like that's Will Graham's gift, of course, is to have empathy for the killers. And that's why he's retired, because mm-hmm. it's it's you know hard for him. He can't to live with the... that in his mind. Exactly. After, can't especially after like, there's this great scene in the uh, supermarket where he's talking to his kid and he's talking about like, you know, after my experience with Hannibal, which is, you know, it's it's interesting that I, I find it kind of interesting that you didn't pick Red Dragon as your overrated for this, because that movie, even though it didn't, it wasn't like a huge, it didn't get all this like huge critical acclaim or something. It was a success, I think. 
It but was. I feel like critically, it got a huge pass. I, I thought it was just like bargain basement mediocrity, like Brett Ratner, I, basically. I think, That's what you but meant. I think for me to to you know we we tend to shit on Brett Ratner a lot. I'm gonna not do it so much. I'm gonna give him just a tiny bit of credit. I think. For you know, for for Red Dragon, despite its mediocrity, I think that movie did have the the baggage mm-hmm. uh, of this yes. movie already existing. Mm-hmm. And so, if they if Brett Ratner had just made it, I'd be like, you know, it's a very mediocre movie as a whole. But mm-hmm. for him, far and away the best movie he's made. Yeah, uh, I mean, just by but it, you know default. But I think the reason <laughs> I didn't pick Red Dragon is because we I don't think we'd have a lot to discuss. We yeah, would just you're be right. We would just like, be like similarities. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll like just talk and about it's, the similarities and be like, oh, this is you know, this, this is, is you good. want to watch this a mediocre, you know, ty- like a crappy, yeah, you know, not right. crappy, but like you know, just soul crushingly mediocre version of like. Yes, it's so like shot, story. like it's mostly shot for shot, except for the like yeah. the unnecessary uh, prologue at the beginning. Prologue of Prologue and the epilogue. So, yeah, uh, uh, there, there's, he has. To, they have to add that, and that, that's what I was gonna like kind of talk about in regards to that like scene in the supermarket. You know, you don't see. Um, the scene where uh, William Peterson, um, that character played by Edward Norton in Red Dragon, you mm-hmm. don't see the scene where he catches Hannibal. Uh, right. He just talks about it in this like very kind of almost bland location. Like there, he's just shopping with his son, and he just goes into like what happened and how Hannibal like attacked him. And but that's how you would explain it to an eight year old. Like yeah, you yeah, like but you, but you, you don't have to see it. And it's 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 that's the difference between Michael Mann and Brett Ratner is that. Michael Mann knows the intensity of that that backstory can be applied through uh, the simplicity of that scene. And the simplicity is what makes it uh, mm-hmm. effective because you're just like, wow, this guy like went through some shit. And then your your imagination kind of fills in the rest about like how sick this Hannibal Lecter guy must have been uh, for him to finally be like, I didn't want him in my head anymore, so I had to quit the job. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's just like... That stuff is like so much more effective than just okay. We have to show, and also in Red Dragon, they were at a position where like we have to cram in Anthony Hopkins in as many scenes as possible. And that's the thing. That's why this movie is free of that burden uh, yeah. because it was made before Anthony Hopkins made that role iconic. And so you, Brian Cox is only in like what three scenes in this movie? Is yeah, Hannibal he's great. Lecter. He's he's great. It's effective. I love the first scene where like it's point of view on both of them. Both of them are framed in the jail cell bars like dead center. And it just cuts between them uh, through and through. Love that stuff. Um, And Michael Mann is so good at just like, you know, you mentioned the supermarket scene. Michael Mann's always been good at showing you he's he will show you what he wants the audience to see at any given time like like when he gives you the exposition he knows he's giving you the exposition it's not like a lazy way of doing that like he's like this is the moment this is the right time mm-hmm. um but the rest of it is just it's an incredible mood piece um and the the and great, a very very tightly quality. streamlined uh procedural too yes very tightly streamlined and god so much credit to william peterson as will graham because mm-hmm. in the hannibal series which is very good um if you haven't seen it um, they, you know, because of it being, you know, the 2015 and 16, whenever the show came out and all the technology they could use, they, um, they would like have these tracking shots and these like digital recreated shots of Will Graham, uh, in the Hannibal series, seeing all the events that like walk literally walking in the killer's shoes. Mm. Um, but Michael Mann didn't have that technology or that budget at the time. Mm. So William Peterson has to like 
convincingly show the audience what he is seeing at that mm-hmm. time, even though we're just seeing him walking through a room. We're just seeing him walking through a crime scene. But he's narrating in his his little uh, voice recorder of mm-hmm. what he's seeing. And it's effective. Like, it's mm-hmm. almost more effective, um, you know, as you said, because they don't show. It's like the same thing of it's, it's not, not having it's the not epilogue. Showy. It's not showy. Yes, it's, it's not, not over showy. the top. It's not obvious. But and your that, mind that's... will make it more yeah. creepy, honestly. Uh, it, especially, like, pair that with the synth score. Yeah, and, and the like, synth you're... score is, like, moody and it gets you into, like, it's perfect. Like, the... the um. It gets you into this. Um, I don't know if that was the exact, you know, because th- those kinds of scores were in every kind of movie back then. So it wasn't, you know, that kind of synth score wasn't specifically used in thrillers or horror movies. But it really does like, if the intention is to get you like an unease mood, like it, it, it does an amazing job. Like there's something about yeah. the synthesizer that, like, you know, going back to like the, um, you know, Dawn of the Dead or the Giallo movies of like. Um, Dario Argento and stuff like that, they add so much to the experience. And, um, they, you know, some movies like, you know, it follows, like try to ape it today. But I think it's just the fact that those weren't like, um, callbacks, they were actual genuine attempts of like putting you in that mood. What (laughs) is, is what makes those films, the scores in those films so much more special as the films today that are trying to like, kind of do a throwback to those. Exactly. Uh, it, It works organically. It does. And the movie's like just minimalist approach. The fact that it's like because you said it's not showy. Uh, I think like early criticism when the movie first came out is people did think it was showy and they thought mm. it was style over substance. And, you know, maybe maybe we're so saturated with uh, style in the movies that are made today. Now it that looks so much more subtle. <laughs> yeah, it looks so much more subtle, especially because there are moments in the movie that are like, you know, uh, it, it's so subdued that when a moment does hit like the flaming wheelchair scene for example mm-hmm. it's like it's terrifying like that image is ingrained in your face yeah in my mind uh for the rest of my life um and i just i love you know again i was kind of getting to this track at the beginning you know versus prisoners and kind of why i wanted to pick the two is because of between prisoners simplistic approach in this movie having like you know deep imp- empathy not just for will graham but like even a, a terrible psychopath like uh, francis dollarhide like the fact that he's in his mind and that there's like a sort of duality and a similarity between the two, but they're two sides of a different coin is like, it's a fascinating moral gray area to be in where and, and you, you, doesn't you, happen you do get the kind of straightforward um, <clears throat> exposition monologue about like why he, he yes. can easily enter the minds of these like depraved individuals. Um, but I think like, Michael Mann get, deserves so much more credit there and the performance uh, by William Peterson in, in the way that they make it like very matter of fact. It's not it's not a big moment. It's not a like, um, OK, this is where we're going to like lay out the themes of the story. It's just a moment where they're just they're just waiting. There's these two police, like, like two detectives waiting for like answers. And then just like they start shooting the shit and then he just like goes into, you know, can you be empathetic towards a child who was abused uh but also want to kill that child when it becomes an adult and starts killing other people and uh that's a great like dichotomy that he that's a very interesting dichotomy that he puts himself into where he has like this amazing empathy for what could have transpired in these people's lives to turn them into this but then also be like i need to catch you as soon as possible and put two bullets into your head because you can't like be alive Right. And to, to have this, this kind of like very cut and dry 
position that's wrapped around this um, really interesting place to be. But he does it in a way that's just like just focuses on the actor sitting on a chair, just giving delivering the monologue, and it's like it's not handled in, as this like big dramatic moment. And I think that's what makes Manhunter work so well. And it, for me, it's like. Uh, it's almost like this is not my favorite Hannibal Lecter movie. You know, Silence of the Lambs, Lambs is definitely yeah. the one. It's it's but, a masterpiece. Like I I, I hate yeah, to use that word, it's, but it's yeah. It's, Silence of the Lambs so is great uh, in terms of, but this might be my personal favorite movie that has Hannibal Lecter in it. I, I watched this one probably. Sense. No, I revisit this one more often than I do. Maybe mainly because I think even though the movie is like heavy. It's still, but there's like, there is a stylistic flourish to the movie that I, and, and mm-hmm. a atmosphere that I love getting lost in where Silence of the Lambs, despite being a masterpiece is, it's a grind because it is so like unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, so is this one, but like, this is more it, of an accessible, just, like detective thriller, but that's exactly. in an excellent way. And that's the other thing I love about uh, Michael Mann uh, as a whole, but especially in this movie, like he knows how to make like no BS police procedural, but Mm -hmm. make it look like interesting because like he just understands the worlds of cops, the worlds of police. And he, um, you know, Dennis Farina is in this movie who was a former cop who's great in this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he just like he knows the the grind of like building a case. And so, like, to see that in his style um, is just, it's really exciting to watch. And it's interesting. I was doing my research of this movie, and apparently David Lynch was originally attached to direct it. And who's mm. who might who might be my favorite filmmaker, but I don't think he would have been right for this movie as much no. as I, I, I love him. Because it would have been like, too weird. It would have been too weird and, like, too emphasis on the mood. And this movie has a perfect, like, mood and like narrative thrust balance. I also think like I in college I did a critical analysis on or I did my history narrative film paper on Blue Velvet and in doing my research the uh, Dino De Laurentiis put out this movie um and David Lynch had signed a two picture deal with Dino De Laurentiis one to do Dune and one to do a movie of his choice. And Dune was such a terrible experience for both of them and they basically hated each other after that that he gave him the Dino DeLarnas gave David Lynch peanuts to do his next movie, which ended mm-hmm. up being blue belt, blue yeah. velvet. But I'm assuming that David Lynch was like, I don't want any part to do with another adaptation yeah. <laughs> after doing. Dune. So he was, yeah, just like, or, or maybe he was just like, I don't want, you know, I want to do my own thing. Like, I don't want yeah. to, to be maybe, maybe, to maybe he was petty about like, I don't want to like bow down to like whatever script that you're going to send me. I want to do my own thing. Maybe, I don't know. But, um, but I think, yeah, Michael Mann is the perfect choice for this material. And I, I love the way that he mixes uh, situations and scenes that could be over the top and makes them grounded. Uh, yes. Like you, have an, you have an insane ending here where it's like this police raid uh, right when he's about to kill the blind woman that he's dating, the, the tooth fairy, the killer. With Indigata DeVita perfectly um synced to the events like there's this like great like the the big guitar riff kicks in when william peterson like crashes through the you know it's 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 almost it's almost borderline schlock but he does it like he grounds it somehow he also plays with frame rates on that scene yeah like like it's it's fun and it's like out there but it's not gaudy and it's not annoying yeah, uh, he he does it in, in in a way that just like fits the 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 kind of 
grounded, um, relatively grounded uh, tone of the rest of the film. Right. And that's but it a also very still has that, uh, it has that otherworldly. It yeah. is hard to accomplish, but it has that otherworldly element to it. Yeah, it's not bland. When, yeah, no, not at all. So when that when that scene does like, you know, the movie still has this like interesting universe to where that that even if it could be perceived as schlock, it it's incredibly effective. Uh, even the like symbolism is like, you know, not it, it's it's a little heavy handed at the end, but it's still like it's again, it's effective because the movie it did the legwork and it did the build up. To well, that well it's, it's, at least it's not like the ending of Psycho where, where a psychiatrist shows up and is like, this is what this is, this is what he's going through. This is why he acted like this. And right. You know, exactly. it's, it's it's a fairly simple like, OK, this is what he wanted to do. That's why he was acting the way he did. And that's why he was attracted to, you know, without without any straight exposition delivered to you understand why he's attracted to the blind woman um and and how it like informs his um and like in a way i think red dragon almost hints at you that like because of his relationship with the blind woman that he's going to change his ways or something right and there's not even an attempt at that in manhunter which i love yeah <laughs> like you're no, like it's... yeah no, why would he change like because he's like watching the home video of the uh the 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 family that he's going to kill next right when where he's he's shit she's sitting right next to him and he takes pleasure out of the fact that she can't see so he's doing this like disgusting thing while mm-hmm. you know she thinks he's just looking at like homework or something and that's, that's that's like it's it manages to be truly unsettling without really just like pushing it in your face Yes, I, I agree. And that's that's what really works about it. And another, another example of that, like compared to Red Dragon, for example, is, um, you know, in Manhunter, uh, William Peterson is just standing in the middle of this bedroom that's just like messed up and it's covered in blood. Mm-hmm. It's horrifying. It's it's horrible looking. But like Michael Mann just uses, he doesn't use music. He doesn't use like, um, you know, he just uses a general, like, long shot of the room while he's just talking into his tape recorder about, like, oh, the this person might have had his throat cut or in this spot, and then he wanted to save the kids, so he must have been dragging himself. And then you see, like, you track the... But it's, it's done in a very, like, procedural, matter-of-factly way, and that's what makes you feel... Uh, that's what gives the intensity of the scene, because you're just like, this is horrifying, like, what he's describing. It's like your worst possible nightmare as a family man. Yeah. And uh, but the way that he's describing in this like matter of fact way is that's what like gives you like this this haunting feeling, and you look at Red Dragon the same scene where it's just like, uh, you know like Edward Norton goes into the bedroom and like turns on the light and you see the blood on the bed or whatever and there's like this like loud musical sting, it's like da 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 like you know it's like it's, it has it, to be it has to have hit all those big broad all those big broad beats. notes and it has yeah. to make you like look at this look at all this blood i'm showing you like brett ratner being like i'm a i'm a big boy filmmaker now like i'm making all these like violent serial killer movies uh it's almost like that and it's just so off-putting that um, it is and while i think that movie again is just like just plain mediocre it's not terrible it's not good yeah. it's just this, this mediocre movie it's weird people give that movie a pass over uh ridley scott's movie i i would take ridley scott's hannibal like head and shoulders over oh yeah because at least it's uh, weird it's so bizarre, it's bizarre. <laughs> oh my like, god that movie's so histrionic it takes and some crazy. like crazy chances like i still can't believe that was a studio release like the, I d- the I ending don't of that movie like i feel like because it was ridley scott and because it was a sequel to silence of the lambs they got away with 
so much in that I guess. movie. Like that movie's a mess. <laughs> like it's a complete mess. It's so messy. It's it's totally all over the place, and there's some like weird shit in it in a way that just like doesn't fit. Like mm-hmm. going back to like because the only movie reference you had before that with Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter was Silence of the Lambs, and that's right. a tightly constructed movie. Yes, and like, no moving battle. from that to Hannibal, where it's just like this batshit crazy, like all over the place story. Yeah, and... it's like a straight Giallo movie. Almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was weird. So then going from that to like Red Dragon was like playing it safe. And um, yeah. so at least I give Hannibal a little bit of credit for that. Like people would probably a lot of people would say like, oh, it's Red Dragon is better than Hannibal because it's a better uh, structured film, I guess. Uh, but you know, it also doesn't take any chances. That's why they oh, hired Brett Ratner. Um, super safe. It's super cut and dry. And yeah. And I was gonna say, like, back to this movie. Like, you know, before we, you know, start to wrap up, it's kind of a shame that after this movie, Michael Mann never really dipped his toe in the horror thriller genre. Like he yeah. did this and, and The Keep right before it, which is a batshit crazy movie. Uh, also messy, but. Yeah, uh, if at you least can find the keep, I think it's, it's out of print everywhere. It's a very hard film. You can to get find. it digitally on like iTunes and Amazon. Oh, you can now. Oh, I didn't know in, that. But it's in standard def. Because um, it's been so, it's been in like some litigation for like the longest time, and like it wasn't released for like the longest time. Maybe they got over it now. So yeah, you should definitely check that movie out. It's not. I wouldn't call it good or great, but it's, it's no, but it's, it's crazy. interesting. Yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting. super interesting. Definitely. And that was his second movie. This being his third movie after uh, you know the keep, the great thief. thief, yeah. Yeah, Thief, which is a great movie, but I just it's it's too bad. I, and I'm wondering if the like the initial reception and box office uh, returns for both The Keep and Manhunter, because neither neither were successful uh, in their time, just kind of uh, soured him from uh, touching this genre again, because he's mostly made uh, crime movies mm-hmm. or biopics. Yeah, uh, that, that's a shame because he would have been um, I think I feel like. He would have been really great at it. Uh, the closest I feel like he came to, even though it's not uh, technically a serial killer, would be Collateral, I think. Because uh, yeah. it has, it, it almost has like kind of a running away from the serial killer horror movie approach. You know what right. I mean? Right. It also has the, you know, the thing. Well, well between that and, uh, and you know, of course, Heat and the diner scene. Like the, the, the sort of dualities. The, the, yeah. The same side or the different sides of the same coin that Michael mm-hmm. Mann is so good at doing. And I think that... You know, you know, people obviously heats heats a masterpiece and collateral is a very good movie. But I think that that what he became so good at doing started in this movie. And I think people don't totally realize that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so I would definitely say if you haven't seen Manhunter, but if you're big fans of both Heat and Silence of the Lambs, uh, this is one that I would heavily recommend to to check out. Um, Absolutely. And I just recommend in general, it's. It's uh, yeah, it's a movie that I've uh, you know, I've always loved. Um, I saw it first saw it in college when I was like going through filmmakers that I admired and uh, was like going through their filmography and then, uh, you know, got to Manhunter when I was watching Michael Mann's films. And uh, yeah, it's pretty much it's I've, it's been a like a personal a personal favorite since then. And uh, I just think it needs uh, a little bit more love than it gets. Yeah. Yeah, and I think my my last uh, note would be uh, kind of a shout out to Tom Noonan. I think he's great oh, as the he's as the killer. So terrifying and so like again that minimalist approach. And he apparently did not want to see any of the cast for yeah. scenes so that he, he was like not going to approach. Of. And you can see yeah. how that how that worked out. Like he's people seem truly like off put by him and. 
uh, it's it's really interesting. And uh, yeah, he does an amazing job. And he's um, even better than Ray Fiennes in Red oh, Dragon. Hell who yeah. is, and Ray Fiennes is one of our greatest actors working yeah, today. Yeah, but he's kind of asleep at the wheel in that role. And I hate yeah. that kind of Hollywood approach of like, oh, this guy is supposed to be hideous. So let's cast Ray Fiennes, who's like genuinely good looking and just right. you know just slap well, a, he, just put a, a, a scar on his face or something well it, it took so long ugly. because he had played amon garth and schindler's list so like people wanted to keep casting him in a you know a role like that yeah yeah I, I can see that but he's like but the whole point of that character is that he's supposed to be hideous and that's that's supposed to be what drives him to do what he does yeah and um and tom newton's just like in addition to just being like there's like he's a terrific actor but like he does have this off-puttingness to him and he's mm -hmm. tall so he's incredibly like physically uh, imposing yeah, yeah imposing yeah so i think i think he's great and i think he's um uh, this is the only one where it's like the brian cox is great too because of how like how much more um how much more straightforwardly handled he is than hannibal lecter he's not as showy and that's what makes him eerie uh more in almost more eerie the way that he talks about like Killing people makes us feel like gods, but he doesn't do it in this, like, Anthony Hopkins, like, weird, like, you know, just going, like, you know, you know, like, that kind of right. sounds. Like, he just does it. He's just, like, laying on his, like, bed and, like, in a cell. Yeah. He's very matter-of-fact. He's very, very matter-of-fact, yeah, but exactly. But saying really fucked up things. But so saying really, just... really fucked up things, like, saying, like, you know, it feel, makes us feel like a god when we kill people and... Um, so that's the best approach to that, but this is the only movie I can think of in the Hannibal Lecter kind of features that, um, where the other killer, you know, overshadows, like becomes the main focus, overshadows right. Hannibal Lecter. And I think Tom Noonan manages to do that here. Um, mm -hmm. definitely. So yeah, yeah. A little bit of a shout out to him. I think he's, um, kind of an underrated um actor you know who's been in recently a lot of charlie kaufman stuff um yeah so every um, voice in anomalisa every, that's every other voice in anomalisa that's not the boy on the girl or uh he's great in um synecdoche yep um yeah so that's my final note do you have any uh any final notes about it no i i, I said my piece before uh your final notes so other than that yeah go go watch manhunter um and i mean it you haven't seen prisoners there is still you know there's ambition to it but it's not something you need to it's you know. too long if it was like shorter <laughs> i would say like you know at least watch it for the performances and the way it's shot but man it's too long it's way it's, too long you know it doesn't deserve like it's almost three hours man that's that's a lot for a film like that especially if one that's so predictable it's true if you need your villeneuve and jake jill fix watch enemy because it's 90 minutes long yes and better yes there you go that's a great <laughs> yep. advice so yeah, thank you so much for listening to our uh, our police procedural serial killer episode. Um, next, uh, our next episode is going to be my picks, and we're going to do something a little bit different this time around. Instead of picking one overrated and one underrated movie, um, in order to kind of celebrate the new uh, existence of Filmstruck, where you can watch a lot of um, uh, Criterion uh releases um in order to kind of also uh celebrate um the beauty of the the criterion catalog i decided to these are going to be my picks and i decided to kind of talk about three criterion releases some of them out of print some of them that haven't that didn't get the blu-ray um upgrade yet uh that i think really deserves uh 
you know, an, an upgrade, a new Blu-ray release or something like that, if Criterion is listening. Uh, but anyway, so the are my picks are going to be uh, three films that the Criterion Collection released that don't really, otherwise don't really have any thematic or genre connections between them. Uh, but um, the first one is going to be Federico Fellini's um, Knights of Kiberia. The second one is going to be uh, Kon Ichikawa's um, a great anti-war film, uh, the Burmese Harp, and uh, the first, the um, and the third one is going to be um, Samuel Fuller's uh, great anti-racism film uh, from I think 1980 or 1981, called uh, White Dog. Um, not to be confused confused with another dog-based movie, White God. Uh, that's the <laughs> Hungarian film from a couple years ago. Uh, so yeah, it's called White Dog from the early '80s, and these are all I think uh, you can find them on video in video stores, or some of them can be found streaming. They're they're fairly hard films to find, but they're they're definitely worth it if you want to like kind of prepare for the next episode. Uh, so those are the ones that we're going to be talking about next time. But until then, uh, thank you so much for listening to us uh, on the Playlist Podcast Network. You can find. You can always find new episodes on the podcast section on theplaylist.net. Um, we want to thank the playlist uh, for still hosting us and letting us talk to you uh, through them. And uh, also you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash overundermovies, uh, on Twitter at overundermovies. And also you can also find us on iTunes uh, under the playlist podcast. Uh, so yeah, if you listen to us and if you like our show, like give us a comment and, uh, subscribe and do all that cool stuff, please. And, uh, signing off, this is Oktaege Kozak. I'm a contributor and film critic for the playlist, uh, the Oregon Herald, uh, DVD talk and payasperda.com. And signing off is Ryan Oliver. I'm a contributor here to the playlist.net and the editor of the very podcast you are listening to right now. Yay. All right, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.